Good morning. The, so we're going to be in the book of Philippians. We're actually beginning uh, a brand new series, uh, walking through the book of Philippians over the course of the summer. And so and we're looking forward to that. And so as you turn in your Bibles, you can look to Philippians chapter one. As you do that, um, I'd like to just share a story. I remember uh, back in the day, if you've been in Houston long enough, then you've been here uh, uh, to experience multiple hurricanes. As a native Houstonian born and raised, I've lived through my fair share of hurricanes, my fair share of all of these things, and uh, you kind of grow accustomed to what it's like. I mean, every storm is different, uh, but at the same time, you, you move to acceptance. Now, back when I was in college, I remember um, there was Hurricane Ike in the fall of 2008, and for that particular storm, I was actually staying. I chose to stay with a group, but with one of my best friends, Larry, um, who now is a church planner up in New York. But we uh, were, you know, at his apartment with him and his wife. They were newlyweds, and uh, a couple of us decided to hang out there. And as the news people uh, were saying, hunker down. So we're hunkering down. Uh, you know, at, at their apartment, and we were so young and foolish and did not take seriously everything that was going on or the magnitude of stuff that was going on. So we were watching the news um, as, you know, you're always seeing these hurricane newscasters. Um, you know, they're, they're like in the storm and wind and rain and all that kind of stuff, and so we thought it would be funny to uh, grab two flashlights. Now, two flashlights, because one of them we need to spot on our faces at night, and the other one we're using as a microphone, uh, as a fake microphone, and, and we were deciding to record ourselves as fake newscasters uh, doing things. Now, when it first started, it was like a light drizzle, drizzle outside, so we didn't really think much about it, but, um, uh, you know, so we're pretending like, oh my goodness, Larry, the, the wind is is battering down on my head right now, you know, so we're, we're doing that whole thing. And, and we're making jokes, and it's fine. Then a couple hours go by. The wind's starting to pick up a little bit more. Rain is starting to get a little bit more heavy. And so, once again, we do this thing where we're out there uh, doing these fake news broadcasts, and we shove them, actually, up on on uh, YouTube. They're still there. I thought about showing them for you guys, but I decided not to encourage that um, kind of uh, stupidity is what it was. So uh, we're, we're doing that. And then... Uh, about an hour before the eye came through uh, our part of Houston, uh, the eye of the storm, we go outside and, and Larry records a video first and then I start recording a video. And while I'm talking, I'm really getting into what I'm saying. The wind gusts are just incredible. You know, it's it, it, this is absolutely insane to be outside. Uh, what we're doing is incredibly dangerous. But I remember... Uh, I'm really into what I'm doing, and Larry can see the trees above me starting to bend and buckle. And so he he's trying to get my attention, and I'm I'm just like, look at this pine cone over here that flew off the tree. And eventually he uh, he gets my attention, and he says, Mac, look. And I look up, and I see the trees bending. And so we immediately run back inside the house, or back inside his apartment. Now. All that was incredible. I remember when the eye of the storm kind of finally came through and we hit the, the peak of things. His his apartment, like the actual door to his apartment, faced the south. And that's the direction that the storm is coming from. Um, but the way the winds rotated, they're like coming from the north. It was this weird thing. And so um, it was crazy because you could see the storm from his porch and his window. 
Um, but the majority of what was being felt was on the other side of the building from you know from where we were. And so I remember in the height of the storm in the middle of the night, somewhere around 2 a.m. or something like that, uh, kind of standing on his porch and watching this storm come in. And it was um, insane. You know, I'm looking at sideways rain for the first time. I'm looking... Um, at rain, it didn't even look like it was falling. It was just just kind of spinning, and and so I took in the power and the weight of this storm. Sure enough, the next day, um, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, we go outside, and the trees that we were underneath had come down. The city was ransacked and damaged. You know, if you lived here in Houston, you remember the curfew, the gas lines, and all the stuff that is uh, life after a hurricane comes. All the power that was lost. Uh, but I remember uh, reflecting on that experience of being on Larry's porch, Larry and Lindsay's porch, and and uh, and watching that storm. And it's like everybody went through the storm. Uh, everybody uh, experienced, you know, the hurricane. But m- our position in it and our location um, allowed us to uh, marvel at the 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 magnitude of what was going on and as we go through the book of philippians here i think it's important for us to recognize that everyone goes through storms and through difficult times and in fact as paul writes this letter to the church in philippi he uh, happens to actually be in prison and yet he's able to have joy because it's not that he's not going through difficult circumstances, but his location and position, and, and, and more, important, more specifically, his, his proximity to the, the presence of God in his life allows him to have joy in the midst of. And so this series, going through the book of Philippians, called Joy Even Though, as we walk through the book of Philippians, we're going to see um, what it's like or how we're able to have joy and how we're able to have peace even in the midst of um, these things. And it's all centered around the person of Jesus Christ. Now, this book of Philippians, um, Paul was in prison somewhere around A.D. 60, um, and this letter is, letter is written somewhere around A.D. 62. Um, the Church of Philippi was the first church that Paul established in Europe, um, which is in modern-day Greece. Um, and if you want to read more about that, that church that was established, you can see it in Acts chapter 16, um, um, you know, verses 6 through 40. And so this church is ultimately planted during Paul's second missionary journey, which took place somewhere around 80, 48 to 51 in that time, in, those, in those, the span of those years. And, and why do I even tell you all this? Because, you know, this church has been around for a little bit of time. They have, uh, uh, you know, they're near and dear to Paul. This church understood persecution as well. And ultimately, um, uh, well, this letter is written because they've taken up an offering and they're sending it to Paul to in- encourage him. And he's so touched and blessed by them, he takes time to write this letter and send it back to uh, to Philippi. And so the Philippian church um, is this great church that models for us what that looks like. But as, as we jump into um, this text here today, uh, I want to read this for us, and then we're going to um, spend some time hunkering down. But I want you to remember that this is something that's written in the midst of struggle. So 
Let's see what it says here. Starting in verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, for you all making in the gospel, sorry, I read the wrong line. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, it is, the, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I, told, I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you, all with affection, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you just for this day and for the opportunity to read your word and to study it. And Lord, I pray that you would just show us, illuminate truth to us, help us to understand these words so that we might Continue to grow into the, the men and women that you've called us to be. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. So as we jump into this thing uh, here, I want us to understand this, is that uh, even in the midst of our greatest trial, the gospel informs our reason for joy. Literally, even in the midst of our greatest trial, the gospel informs our reason for joy. There are trials and difficulties in life. There are um, dangerous roads ahead. There are turbulent seas, uh, uh, shaky uh, uh, ground, and all kinds of things that we'll go through, whatever illustration you want to use. We go through things, but I want you to understand that the gospel is not just where we go for salvation. It is the center of, of all things and ultimately the catalyst that informs us as to why we have joy even in the midst of you fill in the blank. I don't know where you've been. I know that 2020 was a difficult year and everybody said there's no way that 2021 could be worse. And then we jumped into 2021 and it was just a couple days in that we saw the Capitol riots and we see all the pain and suffering and hurting that's going on in the world. There's continued uh, uh, wars and rumors of wars and hardship everywhere. We have personal issues, people struggling to pay bills and hunger and, and all the things that exist. And so even in the midst of all of those things, you are able to have joy. And Paul sets as an example for us as somebody who finds himself in prison for the gospel of Jesus Christ and yet finds himself filled with joy. And, and so the gospel ultimately is the center of this. It's the catalyst. It's the reason for. And, and so uh, we're going to uh, uh, just look at this very quickly. Um, three things that the gospel is. 
And the first one is we've already started to hint out is this, is that the gospel is the catalyst for joy. The gospel is the catalyst for joy. Look at verses 4 and 5 and what it says. In verse 4, it says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's the, it's the catalyst. It's the reason why. He talks about this idea that he's praying with joy. And why is he praying with joy? And we can see this for two reasons, why he prays for joy for the church in Philippi. The fir- fir- first of all is their partnership. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community and not in isolation. And so he's grateful for partnership. And, and look, we partner together and are continually reminded that even in the darkest hours, we are not alone. The body of Christ is a part of God's blessing for you. The, the reason why, one of the reasons why God gives us the, the body of Christ, the church, is to be encouraged and so to partner together. This idea that you're not on your own or trying to make it happen yourself, but you literally get to partner together. And we see that this partnership for them um, is both in their personal concern for his well-being and also for a financial blessing. In, in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, Paul makes mention of the financial blessing that they have. See, they see that he is imprisoned, that he is persecuted, that he is continuously uh, seeking to make the name of Jesus Christ known, to make disciples, and the church views themselves as partners with him in the gospel. And so even in the most difficult of situations, they are are there right beside him, encouraging him. And so he begins to pray and call out to God and say, Lord, I'm thankful and I'm filled with joy because of their partnership, because I'm not alone. But the next thing that you see in that isn't just their partnership. The partnership isn't what isn't the only thing that gives him joy. It's their consistency. It's their consistency. Because in verse 5, remember, he says, because of your partnership, uh, um, in the gospel from the first day until now because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now from the first day that we planted you some 10 to 13 years ago till right now you are consistent you're continuing to grow in the gospel you're continuing to endure so it's not just at the beginning where they had this flash in the pan faith but they have displayed endurance and consistency and the endurance and consistency that they've continued to display over to display over the years brings him joy because of the continued work of the gospel in the life of the people in the church at Philippi Paul is filled with joy. The cat, the, it is the gospel and its work in people's lives, its implications in people's lives, is the catalyst for joy. It's the catalyst for joy. It's the first thing. But it's not just that, uh, that the gospel is the catalyst for joy. The second thing is that the gospel is the confidence for joy. It's the confidence for joy. Verse 6 is this incredibly historic uh, you know, a foundational verse. I remember uh, this particular verse um, being in a 90s worship song um, uh, uh, that we used to sing all the time in church. He who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Anyway, some of y'all might not remember that song, but I, I remember that song. 
And so uh, we're, I, I, it's this foundational verse. And, and let's look at it, what, what it says here in verse 6 again. It says, I am sure of this. I'm certain of this. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm sure of this. He's certain of this. It's the confidence. And and look, we could preach a whole sermon just on this, but I do want to look at this and break break it down just a a little bit. He says, he who began um, that first part of that. Why is there confidence? Because of he who began. It necessarily points to the God who created all things and stands as sovereign Lord over the world, began this great work. Consistently throughout the scriptures, you see the the writers being encouraged by the fact that they serve the maker of heaven and earth. One of, one of my favorite uh, uh, verses in 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 the in the book of psalms is psalm 121 uh, where it says i lift up my eyes to the hill from where is my help to come and then it says my help comes from the lord the maker of heaven and earth it's this incredible declaration that when you recognize that you serve the maker of heaven and earth it ultimately encourages you and leads you to have confidence i don't have to worry about the things and that psalm continues to say that he will not let your foot be moved the god of israel does not sleep or slumber and and so it's all these things he doesn't allow the sun to strike you by day nor the moon by night the lord shall preserve you from all evil. There's this confidence that comes from understanding that you serve the God who created the heavens and earth. And so the God, he who began, that means that it isn't finished yet. That word began. He began the work, but he's not done. Whether you're up or down currently in this world or in this season of life, it's just the beginning. It's not the end. He's continuing to do a great work. He's just getting started. And thanks be to God that he's not like us where we start things and don't finish like the New Year's resolutions that we come to every year. Every year we start things on January 1 or within that first week. And then it doesn't take but a couple months later that all the things that we started, we've already uh, put them down and gone back to life before we set those goals. But God is not like us in that he starts things and doesn't finish them. It is God who ultimately start, finishes the things that he starts. It reminds me, I'm assistant coach for my son, Jaden, my oldest, uh, his basketball team, and they're four and five-year-olds, so, you know, it's it's rough. But um, we're, we're, we're sitting there teaching them these, these things, and I remember the, a couple weeks ago when the season first started, um, our team, we're playing, we're getting out school, we're getting out, out we're getting beat, and... And then uh, finally, somewhere in the third quarter, I believe it was, we scored our first basket. And everybody on the team, like, just jumps up and starts celebrating. Like, the ball's getting inbounded by the other team, and they're about to take it up the court. But we're celebrating over uh, a a one-made basket. But here's the reality is that games aren't won by making one basket, and uh, uh, the game isn't over in the second or third quarter. And here's the thing that we have to remember is that God has began a good work in you. It's not the end. And while we have these 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 hills and valleys, these hill experiences that, you know, we want to celebrate it. It, it, it. Look, it's not over yet. There's more stuff to come. And then sometimes we get overwhelmed in the valley 
easily and think, you know, like this is it. I need you to understand, church, that God is the one who began a good work in you, and it's not done yet. It, it reminds me of Psalm 23, where it talks about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the green pastures, and he leads me to the still waters. And I always remember that the the, that Psalm 23 is one of the first, uh, it's the first passages of verses that I ever memorized. I was about six years old. I stood up in front of my little apartment church that I was in and recited that uh, on a chair. And uh, uh, I remember um, uh, that ver- those verses have stuck with me over the years. But as I've matured, one of the things that always struck me is this idea that he leads you to green pastures and still waters, necessarily meaning that there are pastures that are not green and waters that are not still, but you are supposed to take joy and comfort and have confidence knowing that you serve the God that is such a good shepherd that he doesn't take you to the barren westlands to stay there, but it is, a p- it is just a place that you are passionate Passing through on your way to a place of rest. He who began a good work in you. He has begun the good work, but it's not done yet. And because he's not done yet, you can have confidence because God always finishes the things that he starts. The fact that he started the work in your life means that he intends and will finish and complete it. And so there is hope in that. So he who began this good work in you, but then he says faithful to complete it. And so it's it's that God, not God finishes what he does, echoing this idea again, uh, and your life is not an accident, and it is incredible, uh, it has incredible purpose, and God is not going to stop until the work is done, and we know when the work is done, because there is an end in sight, he will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, there is an end date in mind, God will not stop until the work is done. And once again, the gospel is the is the confidence that we have because Jesus finished and completed what he started. We just celebrated Easter uh, just a month ago. And, and what are those words that he said on the cross? It is finished. One of the reasons why you can have confidence in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your heartache, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your trial is because the gospel encourages us and gives us confidence confidence that God finishes the things that he started. And because he sat on the cross and bore our sins and was able to declare victory that it is finished, then we can have confidence that he also has victory over the things in our lives and the work that he's doing. It is finished. He's not going to stop until the work is done, until the day of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has sealed us and encourages us and reminds us of the consistency of his character that we have can be sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The genuine spiritual process is necessarily rooted in what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. And so the gospel is the confidence of joy. So the gospel is the catalyst for joy. The gospel is the confidence of joy. But lastly here, the gospel is the context for joy. Let's look what we see here in verses 7 and 8. It says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. What do we see here? 
we see that it's right for him to have joy. It's right for him because they have been both partakers of grace and suffering. They, they've, they've, they've chosen to come alongside and identify with both the pain and suffering and the grace and the incredible things of what God has done. Partakers with Paul and Grace, they've experienced the highs of the mission of God. They've experienced the confirm, and, and they've also been about the work of co- the confirmation of the gospel literally the preaching of the word and and uh and and the the affirming of the truth they've been they've done the work they've they've been a part of it but they've also seen persecution and imprisonment they they've come alongside of him in this difficult time and they're choosing to identify with somebody who's in pain and suffering look loves lots of people love to work out or not to work out they they love the end result of working out. That's what I mean to say. Everybody today wants the prize, but they don't necessarily always want to do the work. We want the, the beach body without going through the pain and suffering. And the reality for us here and what the church and uh, the Philippian church models for us here is a church that is willing to take on the pain, the suffering, and do the work to be about uh, not, not just celebrating the highs of all seeing the salvations and baptisms, but also in the work, in the weeds of confirming and sharing the gospel, and then in, in the, the valleys of, of imprisonment and persecution, that this is a church um, that the gospel and the truth of Jesus is serves as the context for why they do all that they do. And because of that, there can be joy. Now, earlier in our worship service, uh, we had you take these cards and write down this idea, these, um, these, uh, I think, what are the, the three things that, uh, that give you anxiety and are stressing you out right now? And in your life, I know that there are things that are consuming your thinking, but I need you to understand this. The reason why we have have joy is because Jesus has overcome those things. And so, on one side, you've got these three things that are consuming you with anxiety. But on the other side, I want you to write down this word, overcome. You can have joy because Jesus has overcome those things. And I want you to keep this card in your Bible, in your car, in the bathroom. And over the course of this series, remind yourself constantly that Jesus has overcome. And so you can have joy even though, and even though Paul was in prison, you can have joy. And I don't know where you are here today, but it is the gospel that is the reason why this is possible. And what we mean by this is by that is this, is that everybody has sinned and fallen short of perfection of God's standard. And it's not just that you've sinned. Uh, The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but it also says that the wage of sin is death, that literally the penalty for your sin is separation between you and God. I always used to tell this story when I, or to use this illustration when I was a youth pastor, and I'm going to use it and be gross here again today. So just imagine that you're in middle school all over again. 
but uh, I, I would always take two cups. Now, at the time, my favorite drink was Sprite, and so I would fill these two clear glasses up with Sprite, and I would spit in one cup, and then I would take the other cup and spit in it, and then let everybody else in the room spit in the cup, and then I'd mix it around, and then I'd say, which one do you want to drink? And obviously, everybody would say, neither cup. And then I'd say, well, uh, there's only a little bit of spit in this cup. There's a lot of spit in that cup. And they'd say, it doesn't really matter. There's spit in the cup, and so... I don't want it. And this is all I have to say about sin is that there's spit in our cup of our lives before God. And no matter whether or not there's a lot of spit or a little spit, a lot of sin and a little bit of sin, a little bit of sin is enough to contaminate the entire thing. And so there's nothing that you can do to to fix that uh, in your life, to fix the problem of sin. But God in his infinite grace and mercy sent Jesus to come and live the perfect life that you could never live and to pay the price for your sins. And then because he rose from the dead to give you the opportunity to have the life that you never could have lived all because of him. It's through that the gospel. When you confess your sin and say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe that you sent your son to die for my sins and to pay the penalty and you begin to walk in the joy and freedom of that you are able to experience life and be saved and for some of you today it means that I need to confess my sin confess that I'm a sinner repent before God and say Lord I'm sorry Lord forgive me for what I've done but here's the joy is that when we cry out to him The Bible also says that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So for some of you, this whole thing about joy, even though you have to first experience the joy of salvation, but for some of you, you're just realizing that you're allowing the circumstances in your life to supersede and overshadow the grace of Jesus in your life. And so it serves as a reminder that the gospel is the catalyst and the reason, the context, the confidence for the joy that we have. And we just need to be reminded that Jesus has overcome. And because he has overcome, you have victory and can now walk in freedom and be filled with the joy of Jesus. No matter where you are, though, God is calling you to something, and I pray that you would respond. Will you stand with me and let's pray.